Hello, I'm Sean. I'm an academic. And I'm Drew, a theatre director and choreographer. We know it sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. An academic and a choreographer walk into a bar. Yes, sounds like the beginning of the worst joke ever. But our unlikely friendship was born from a shared passion. We believe that theatre is the art of collaboration. And that can be hard with many confusing titles and departments. Yes, we have to not only understand what people do, but why they do it. And that's why we made the theatre blueprint. Each episode, I speak to a leading artist in their field. And shed light on the inner working of their department. There's so much to find out, so let's roll up our sleeves, put on our safety goggles, and start digging. You're really committed to this building metaphor, aren't you? Yes. Yes, I am. Let's get on with the show. I'm so excited about speaking with today's guest as I know she's going to shine light on one of the most important and often misunderstood roles within theatre making. Welcome to the Theatre Blueprint podcast, Barbara. Thank you. Happy to be here. Could you please start with introducing yourself and explaining, if you can, your role within the process of theatre making? My name is Barbara Hausman and I am a uh, voice and text coach or voice and acting coach, Um, not um, an accent coach, as as many of my dear colleagues are. I don't work on accents. So um, my role can be very, very depending on a show. On some shows, I am just there to look after voice work, which could be anything from vocal health, um, audibility, be that volume or clarity, because they they are different things, um, through to expression, et cetera, et cetera. Um, More often in the work that I really enjoy doing is where I'm also working with the text. So maybe if it's classical text, helping people to really own it. I worked on the all-female Shakespeare's that the Phyllida Lloyd and Don Mar did, which was for me a very life-changing experience in a good way. Um, uh, th- through to, as I do at Regent's Park, uh, it, which involves um, what I would call facilitative directing as opposed to interpretive directing, because obviously um, there's only one interpretation and that's the director's, but often because I did train and have worked as a director um, and one of my Speciality is more working with the actor to be enable them to a- enable them to achieve what the director's vision is, because the director's usually very busy handling everything. <laughs> I mean, I absolutely know that to be true of our working relationship, Barbara. Where you know my, my experience as a director has been coming from um, from choreography and from the visual image, and so you know a big you know hole in my experience was definitely that kind of relationship with the text and and um, I know one of the things that I found so fascinating about working with you is this idea of being able to give the actor um, you know I think your words were filling the well uh, you know of that kind of inner life of the character could, could you explain to us a little bit about what that relationship with an actor might be when it comes to to, you know, working on the inner life of the character? Well, firstly, what I have to say with every actor, it's a negotiation as to what I am going to be allowed to do, you know, and part of me actually quite likes it because it's like a game of diplomacy about, you know, and sometimes it starts with, I just want clarity notes. And then somewhere down the line, they realise that actually in the giving of the clarity note, that actually is informing about their acting. So that's the first thing to say. But if um, what it tends to be is that I'll be working off two things, what the director feel need, feel needs to be filled and what the actor is wanting. So 
whereas if I'm working with somebody like on a, on a film or, you know, if somebody's hired me personally to work before rehearsals, we'll work at A and move to Z. In a, it, with a show, it's much more reactive. So it's like that the director might be saying, I, I, I don't believe where this character's coming from, or the character might be going, I'm finding it hard for the relationship with this other character on this scene. So the work is very much more reactive, in, as you say, filling the well of what do they need maybe in terms of in a in a life subtext you know whether it's past history or or just what am I feeling now <laughs> or um so so it, it's exploring what I would call the inner landscape the inner emotional and, and intentioned landscape um I suppose, put it like this, maybe this helped. Mike Alfreds, a wonderful Mike Alfreds, from him I learned, although he says, I never said that, but from him I learned that in life we improvise based on two sets of skills, two sets of rules. The rules about ourselves, whether we cry in public or not, whether we show anger in front of people or not, and the societal rules. It's fine to wander into a supermarket at the beach in a bikini, probably not fine in the in the middle of you know an urban setting you know it's fine to be naked on a nudist beach it's not fine to be naked anywhere else so in a way if an actor wants to improvise they have to internalize that set of character rules and situational rules not at an intellectual level which is often what happens but at the same level that we operate with ourselves we don't even know what our rules are but they live in us. You know, when we go into any situation, we, we, what Meisner calls, we start full. We're full of everything that's happened to us today and yesterday. So in a way, the filling of the well is, is doing whatever is necessary. And it'll depend. Some actors want to do a lot and some actors just need a very light touch of things. So it's not a always do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a fascinating and nuanced, um, dialogue to be had isn't it and and I know that one of the things that I really valued in our working relationship was your ability to see into uh, my aspirations as a director and you and you interrogated me in just the most kind of uh, brilliant and nuanced way that that you know never made me feel like I wasn't able to do the thing you're asking me to do and c- could you share with us a little bit about what that relationship is like for you when working with a director? Uh, like, because as you say, you have experience yourself as a director. And so I'm assuming that would help that relationship with other directors. Weirdly, because I think some people would think, oh my God, she's going to direct. But actually I find voice coaches who haven't directed sometimes don't know where the line is. Whereas I have a very clear line. If I was directing what I, what would be acceptable or not from a voice person. So for me, I have a clear sense that it has to be their vision. So I will prepare very differently if I'm working. I won't decide on a vision. I got to stay empty and I want them, I want the director to fill me, pour me, pour their vision into me so I can feel it and make it mine. I'm really understand, you know, and sometimes I have to go back and go, can I just check again about this and where you're going with this? So so it's really on a again on a feeling level, really um understanding that and so of course it's great when directors actually talk to me as much harder when they don't want to communicate and I'm trying to guess from the actors and go oh 
what did the director say to you about this? And sometimes they're like, nothing. And I'm like, no, they must have said something. <laughs> but more and more directors, very, so, so it's really about listening to the director, really taking that vision in. And then, yeah, questioning sometimes when you're not clear, which I know also from my point of view as a director helps the clarity because, you know, and it's a way of questioning that isn't at all a judgmental or attacking. It's just, I'm curious. I want to understand more about that. Um, so I suppose it's that kind of dialogue and then going back and going, okay, did that work get us near where you want to be? Or, and, and sometimes saying, look, I'm seeing this is coming up. Is this what you want here? It's almost like the keeper of the truth, you know, in that, that you've been filled up with a, a clear vision and then keeping the director and indeed the performing company um, on track with that vision and, and being able to, um, you know, because so many moving parts come into play, don't they, when making a show that, that you can go off on a, you go off on a tangent, which is something not, not, not um, what you originally set out to do. And that's either good because you've decided to break the rule or a, an external factor like scheduling or someone's availability took you off in a different route and having somebody like yourself to, to keep, keep, keep on the same, on the pursuit of that truth that you initially set out to, to do is, is, is very kind of interesting and useful. Yes, I think there is something for me about the, the vision of the director being sacrosanct and the feeling that you can't direct by committee, you know, because I've been in situations where that has happened and, you know, the choreographer and the, this person and that person and everybody's directing and the actors are going crazy and you know, one person has to, you know, and you have, you know, and you either have, and even if you don't agree with the vision, you have to buy into it to, for the sake of the whole. It is, is, you know, one, sometimes it happens very, very, very rarely. I can't think of the last time it happened, but even if I'm working on a show where I don't agree with things, I just go, well, how can I make this the best quality with the greatest integrity? within the, this vision because that's my job and so it's such an extraordinary role that you you play and one that is intimate to so many people um how did you how did you arrive in this position what was your journey to becoming the the kind of practitioner that you are well my mother met a lady on a train when I was three this is in the 50s she was an elocution teacher called Mrs Malini and my parents were both really very shy. I think it would be fair to say socially inept would be about where we were. And my mother wanted me to have com more confidence. She did not want me to go into the theater. I was going to be a teacher in school. You know, that was the plan. Anyway, I started working with this lady from the age of five to 19. When I was about eight, she said, I think you should go to Central and train as a teacher. Obviously, she didn't think a great deal of my acting at that time. <laughs> I now know why I, I would make a much better actor now because I now understand. So I went to Central, realized there was no way I could teach in, in schools. Loved voice, which was a speciality, loved directing, trained as a director, started directing, really lacked the confidence to, to keep going with it and fell kind of in even more in love with the voice work and especially the text work. So I was in drama school, ended up at the RSC for six years. Wow. When dealing with emotions and passing emotions through the voice, what kind of uh, pressures does that put on the voice as an instrument? Yeah, that's, that's a brilliant question, actually. One of the things you're looking at is the fact that actors, performers, singers too, but particularly actors who are using a spoken voice to perform, 
have to use that voice off stage for social survival. Whereas if you're a violinist, you just put it in your case. And to a degree, you don't have to sing in life. So you are dealing with the fact that people have got habits that they have learned. I mean, uh, learned in terms of tensing up maybe to keep anchor in or tensing up to stop themselves from crying. And then they go on stage and their body goes, this is truthfully how my body, you know, I'm angry. Now this is how my body reacts. But maybe that's not safe to do eight shows a week. The thing is that we were born being able to freely express all emotions. You know, a baby cries with fear or anger or frustration and it's not worried because, because the baby isn't thinking, what, does, what will everyone think of me? It's just like, I'm hungry. And it's just over time, you know, people criticize the contents maybe of what we've said or maybe they make fun of our accents. So we often we get shamed in some way or we get shamed for being angry. You know, if you're a girl, probably don't be angry. If you're a boy, maybe don't cry. I mean, I know those are generalizations, but, you know, or don't be bossy or don't be soft. Um, and we close down, but there is a memory in us of free and released emotion. So one of the things I work with people on, okay, that's what you want to do. You want to be that angry and that scene, you know, or you want to be do that. So often I'll come away from words and back to sounds that are supported. And, and then we work on, can I, it's what I call, can you do anger one without it getting tense? Yeah, can we do anger two, anger three? So you're looking at how do I get back to that free release of emotions? Because in a way on stage, what you're wanting to do is release. You're not going, oh my God, what will everyone think if I shout? You know, it's like my character's allowed to. Um, so, so yeah, and it does, it does can take a lot of time because a lot of people will grip and close up under emotions like fear, anxiety, and anger. And, and some people, some people also will tighten up with sadness and crying because they can feel if they let go, they're just going to cry and cry and cry. And I have to say to them, you need to cry it out so that you can then do it on stage without tightening. It's a really complex um, thing to be able to separate those emotions from technique, isn't it? And, you know, in dance, we often have this idea of being able to make the technique perfect so that in the moment you don't have to think about it. And I guess that that's where we need you, isn't it? I mean, you, ha you cannot think about if you're thinking about your voice on stage, I would be worried because I don't think I'm going to get a performance that I will be interested in watching. The difference, I think, one of the things that it, it fascinates me is that I think we often, not, not necessarily in terms of dance, but in terms of voice work and acting work, think of technique as the enemy of truth. But it is not true. Because what you're teaching people with technique is actually to go back to the connected self, to the free connected self of the young child, plus with a bit more <laughs> finesse. <laughs> but basically, it's that you know, a child can scream and scream and scream. A child can call for hours. You know, children have very strong free voices. So you're trying to get back to that body's ability to be connected and free vocally. What would you say is the, the hardest thing about doing what you do? Getting time. You know, I it's always, every, you know, everybody else 
it seems to get time, you know, and I've even had a director say to me, yes, I know you need time, but, you know, we need to do the costume fittings and wig fittings. And part of me is like, well, yes, but if you can't hear them, I don't really know, you know. So it, it's hard because um, even with directors who really value my work, you know, it, it, it's difficult because so many other calls and time and that's the biggest time. And I, and then you get half an hour and you do do the work and then they go, well, they, you did it in half an hour. So you don't need longer, but it's like, and you're constantly, you're fighting for time to work with people. You're fighting for time on stage. You know, um, it's like, you want me to make this production heard in the audit auditorium and you've given me five minutes with the entire company on stage, you know? <laughs> so that, I think that is the biggest issue is, is fighting for time. And I do have compassion for the fact that it is not easy and there is not enough time. And I have won some battles like, no, you can't take people out of a voice session to have costume fittings because that suggests we don't need the session. Neither we do or we don't, you know, and I have won that battle. But yeah, that's the biggest that's the biggest problem. And, you, you know, you're able to say all of that with uh, such a great sense of humour. So so could you also tell tell us what is your favourite part about your job? So much of it. It is it is working with actors and with the rest of the creative team. I I, I'm a collaborator. You know, when I was in drama schools, I always wanted to collaborate with the movement teacher and with the singing teacher because so it's the collaboration and the sense of, you know, working together. It's like all the good things about having a full-time job with none of the bad things because you're together for six weeks. It's great, but you never get to the point where you get on each other's nerves. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it's the collaboration. It's the joy of, I mean, I just... You know, every time I walk backstage the theatre, it's still magic after 40 years. I still, I just love it. So it's, I mean, it's also painful when you've poured your heart and soul into something and it's not working. That's deeply, deeply, deeply painful. And you're sitting there going, oh my goodness, I, you know, I, I'm not sure I want my name anywhere near this. Doesn't happen very often. Doesn't happen hard. Barbara, as ever, I, you know, I could just listen to you all day. And I, um, you know, I think we could do an entire podcast just listening uh, to you talking about the work that you do. So thank you so much for spending the time with us today. And I know there'll be a lot of people who are, you know, really fascinated and interested in the work that you do. So thank you. Not at all. My pleasure. So, yeah, another fascinating conversation, Drew. Thank you so much. Um, I thought what was incredible in that was her insight into the range of things that have to happen in a show for somebody for it to be healthy. And I think coming back and back to these notions of well-being and health and everybody's responsibility in it, it's so powerful. So I really love that. and. And I thought what was really interesting was her awareness of where her role begins and ends. It sounds such an obvious thing, but I think possibly we both work with people where you want to do more or you think there could be more. But she's really, when she's doing the voice work, she's really clear when she's not being a director and how she's enhancing that role 
and how she's also enhancing the performers' roles and abilities. I think that's right. I mean, for me as well, I think what is really fascinating about listening to Barbara talk and indeed having the sort of pleasure of working with her is that the work and the energy and the goodwill sort of goes both ways. It's not just a position that is uh, to facilitate the acting performance or the actor's relationship with the audience and indeed clarity of information. It's also about refining exactly what the director is asking of the actor. And so the process through which Barbara takes uh, a production, um, the energy is passing in both ways. And uh, this idea of of it being um, a healthy process, sort of physically and emotionally, it also really, you know, as you say, this idea of well-being, it's also the well-being of the production, the way that it's created. And so that idea of the sort of circularity of, of that information being passed between people and helping not only the actor be able to sort of physiologically uh, give a clear idea of what they're trying to say, it's also making the director be very clear about what they're trying to translate to the actor. So it's sort of so multi-leveled. And again, it's one of these positions where I think a lot of people might not have ever uh, been aware that somebody like that works within the arts industry, and yet they're so pivotal to the entire sort of uh, experience for the audience and indeed for the performer and the director. And I think it takes us to, which I guess everything does, that balance of technique and interpretation, um, because it isn't her just doing a technical thing to get people at their best to be able to smash a run or be in the right condition for whatever it is that the director wants or the audience needs. It's way beyond that. There's... um, there's empathy, there's uh, reflective use, it's everything you're saying about that energy. So it's not just a technical skill set that she brings to it. No, that's right. And I, I think the other thing about Barbara as well, sort of going a, a bit beyond that sort of just simple technical skill set, is the generosity of spirit within the within the the, the process. Because um, what I think Barbara is amazing at, and what I think the people that inhabit those positions that, that Barbara is in, there's a generosity of spirit to be able to focus on what the individual is trying to achieve as opposed to what Barbara, Barbara's opinion on what's supposed to be being achieved. Like I, I can speak from, from personal experience that that Barbara really acted sort of as a mentor to me. You know, Barbara is herself a director and was able to help me refine uh, what I was trying to achieve as a director in a way that wasn't passing her opinion on it, but was simply serving the process and, and, and allowing me to be um, sort of, clear and I, and I just think you know it's an example of one of these positions that is so selfless and so without ego that um that that these people that kind of operate within the industry really are the kind of you know lifeblood and I think of uh, I think of Barbara very much like a sort of beating heart that is where the idea that she sort of passes healthy blood throughout the you know throughout the organization and without that sort of beating heart the whole thing would would, would quite simply not exist so I think that pursuit of, of of happiness and health and clarity and technique and and all comes together in this one position of a person who, without ego and without opinion, um, serves the production and becomes completely irreplaceable. That's such a beautiful and powerful image, um, and and I think it's interesting when you say without ego because I think it's about knowing where your ego plays best to serve others, um, and. I think also what came through so strongly um, listening to you and her and now listening to you is skill set, attitude, generosity, 
passion. Um, it's coming together in that way and understanding where your confidence is so that you can be confident to mentor somebody to improve their technique and to, to work in that uh, really kind way for in service of the audience and the people making the work. Um, it's, it's a really interesting set of skills and attributes that have to get developed to be able to do that job. Each week, I ask our guests the same question, and this is my favourite bit. I ask them, what does theatre mean to you and why is it important? It's magic. It's magic. It's, I think it's, it's about the collaboration. It's not something you can do on your own. Even if you're in a one-person show, you can't do it on your own. So there's something about the collaboration there's, and about the creativity through collaboration and the creation of magic and illusion, even if, it, even if it's a completely realistic piece of work. And the fact that for me, theatre has a huge element of compassion in it because at the centre of it, you're understanding the lives of other people. And, and the chance when you work on a show, you know, I've worked on shows that are about real people and, you know, you, 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 you go in and you find out about the lives of people or, or, or you're working on a show where somebody has a particular profession and you have to find out about that profession. So there's also, it's like <laughs> psychology and sociology and creativity and imagination and everything just rolled into one. You've been listening to a Scratch Post production made in collaboration with the Pony Company and Goldsmiths University of London. Music by Andre Rossi made available by Upbeat.io. We'd love to hear from you and find out what you want to know about the theatre industry. You can interact with us at Blueprint Podcasts on Instagram and subscribe for our next episodes. 